Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're going to do a study before the study. And so, if you've been doing the daily reading, today's daily reading was Ouch for Pastors. If you've been doing the daily reading. Uh, basically, God is rebuking the shepherds who are not shepherding the flock of God. And so it's important that you read from Genesis to Revelation on a regular basis through the whole word of God, that you hear everything. And so uh, this is just going to be a short study before we get into 1 Corinthians, because as I've been reading Ezekiel, something really popped out at me this year that hasn't popped out before. And you'll find out that as you read your Bible year after year, you're not going to figure it all out. You won't. So just lay that aside, because that's one of the tactics that the enemy will use against you for reading your Bible. Oh, you're not going to understand it. Don't bother. No, that's a poor excuse, and it's from the pit of hell. You've got to learn what the enemy's doing so that you don't follow his lead. You follow God's lead. We're to need to be in the Word day by day, day by day, just like we like to eat. I don't think anybody's lacking any food here. Matt already shared. I couldn't do that but in the morning, but, you know, that's Matt. The Word of God as well. And I know Matt's in the Word of God and the staff's in the Word of God. You need to be in the Word of God. So out of uh, doing this, I came up with a study before the study. So Jim, you want to throw up that first slide? Out of the 48 chapters in Ezekiel, God uses the phrase, shall know that I am the Lord. Shall know that I am the Lord. Now it's prefaced with you, so you shall know that I am the Lord. They shall know that I am the Lord. The nations shall know that I am the Lord. Israel shall know that I am the Lord. Gentiles shall know that I am the Lord. Egypt shall know that I am the Lord. That's used for, in 48 chapters. It's used 55 times. Now, Ezekiel was most likely carried away in the first wave in 605 BC. So he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. And he is prophesying about Judah being removed off the land. But many times he says Israel. Not talking about the northern tribes, but Israel as a whole. And that's why I encourage you last week to read ahead to 36, 37, 38, and 39. Not that I had this plan. This came to me this morning. So I had none of this plan. I believe this is of the Holy Spirit. It's an exhortation for you and I, the scriptures. You see, God gives us prophecy in the word of God so that the believer as well as the unbeliever might know that there is a God in heaven and that he sent his one and only son Jesus to die and rise again so that mankind, male, female, might spend eternity with him. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So that's so important as we read our Bible that we come to understand that's why I need to read my Bible. Even, I I forget what song it was, might have been the second song, but he's always there for us. He is always faithful. He will always bring us through. Maybe maybe not the way we want him to, but when we get down the road a little bit and we look back, we go, God, you sure didn't know what you were doing because I would have done it differently, but I wouldn't be who I'm in today because of what you did. If you're a mature Christian, you'll be able to look back and go, you knew what you were doing. Yep, once again, you knew what you were doing. So if you've been reading Ezekiel, you'll see a parallel with what Israel and Judah were going through and where we are as in the country and where this world is as far as the last days. And I would encourage you this week to read the following scriptures to give you encouragement about where we are and where we're heading. Do you think 21 was bad? 22 is going to be two steps forward, one step back, Three steps forward, one step back. We're seeing it over and over again. Now now all of a sudden there's a new virant. And fear, 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 fear. But when you read other articles, they're already saying it's mild. It's mild. Those who are having it, they're having mild effects. So why are we going to freak the whole world out and shut things down? So that we can get to the one world economy. So we can get to the one world economy. It's in the Bible, guys. Revelation chapter 13. But you see, our inheritance as believers is in heaven. These are verses that speak to us of the last days when the real birth pains fully come and finally come. 
Because people will tell you, even as it's in the scriptures, some of these scriptures that I'm sharing with you this morning, they'll say, oh, we've heard, you know, we've heard in the 70s Jesus is coming back. There are Christians now that are saying that. Bible-believing Christians. Oh, I heard Pastor Chuck say that back in the 60s. Oh, so he was lying? No, Jesus is coming back right on time. And, and that can lull us into a false security of the government. No, the government's taking care of me now, not God, not Jesus. Yeah, if he comes back, fine, but you know, I need a check. I need a check. No, 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 no. These verses, again, that speak of us of the last days when we, the real birth pains finally and fully come and the baby, guys, is about to be born. Jesus is about ready to come back. What do we need to know that for? Then. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. That's why you want to read these verses. Because then you're going to go, wow, this is it. It's all coming together. We are so close to a one world economy. Most people have no idea how close we are. It's right there. We just need one more major catastrophe, one more economic catastrophe that affects the whole world, not just America, but the whole world, and it's going to push us over the edge. And you know what's really dirty? What's really dirty that carries COVID? Supposedly. You guys know what it is? Paper money. We just got to eliminate paper money because it's really dirty and it carries COVID. Whatever. So here's the slide. Matthew, just again, I encourage you to take a picture. Um, you're going to have a hard time writing that down because we've got to keep moving. So just take a picture. And if you want to, you can come up afterwards and, and copy them. But these are all about the last days. These are all about the last days. And guys, if we, if we ha- lack knowledge, we're not going to have the peace of God. So it's not me up here giving you a wonderful, feel-good message for the next 45 minutes that's going to make the rest of your week wonderful. No, it's going to be myself, as the Bible says to do, teaching you to you go out and do the work of the ministry. And part of the work of the ministry is warning others that we're in the last days. Oh, my grandmother said that. My mother said that. Oh, yeah, you're, you're a wacko. Yeah, well, you know what? Yes, these things did happen over the decades, the centuries, the millenniums, all the various things, earthquakes and so forth and so on. But now it's all coming together. And the biggest factor, the biggest factor that you want to remember is Israel became a nation in 1948. That changed the whole ballgame. And then what solidified it was Jerusalem becoming the capital of Israel again in 1967. I personally believe when Jesus said, this generation shall not pass until my coming, I believe the prophetic clock started at 1967. So we're that generation. And that doesn't mean that everyone of that generation has to die or the last person is about ready to die and Jesus goes, okay, that generation's almost gone. That means any time during that time frame, whatever a generation might be, typically is 70 to 80 years. So guys, we're living in biblical times. That should get you excited. Not fearful. But if you don't know the word, you are going to be fearful. So learn the word. Learn the word, because God has not given us a spirit of fear. We'll wrap it up with this. 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent. Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor, probably in his 30s or 40s by this time. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. As we've been talking about over this last 18 months, what is truth? What is truth? Do we know what the truth is? Yeah, we do. We got it right here. Just stay with the truth and everything else will become clear as far as what is true and what is a lie. Don't don't worry about the Antichrist. Don't worry about any of those other things. Just stay focused on the truth and you will have the peace that surpasses understanding according to the word of God. So I just wanted to share that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Father, we thank you and praise you for the morning. Lord, we thank you for that time of of worship and song. Man, it's so sweet. It's going to be so wonderful to hear a billion voices when we get to heaven. 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles square. Unbelievable. The colors. Your glory illuminating all of heaven. No shadow anywhere. No 110 degree days. Thank you, Father. No work. 
Just worship. Just praise. And Father, we want to continue in our worship of you with the word this morning as we open up your word, your love letter to humanity, not just to us. This is a love letter to humanity for God so loved the world. Father, you love 8 billion people as we're approaching that number. You love every single Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah Witness, Buddhist. You love every atheist. Whatever name we could come up with, you love them. You sent your son to die for them. We thank you, Father, that there's only one race, the human race. Help us to stay focused, that we might help others get focused on the truth found in your word. Lord, I pray for the gift of teaching in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're working our way through the supernatural gifts, the supernatural gifts that should be expressed in a natural flow of our lives. You see, as we walk about our daily business, God desires to use us for his kingdom. Most people think of the gifts as a mystical experience that takes place within the walls of the church. Someone might even say, you know, those gifts are for those who are whacked out, weird, or just downright bizarre. But as we have been seeing in our studies, the truth is just the opposite. You see, we have seen the gifts being used by ordinary people in their everyday lives. And that's my exhortation to you, to me, as we go over the gifts, to remember God wants to use us in our ordinary lives on a daily basis. The question always is, am I available? It's not God's lack of the Holy Spirit. It's not about God. It's always about me. And as we move through the gifts, we continue to find this to be the case. As we look at this now, go ahead and let's look at, uh, well, let's just read the, the opening verses here. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, unlearned, or unknowing. You know that you are Gentiles, carried away by these voiceless idols, these dumb idols, however they, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. So if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you could never say that Jesus is not God. You would never say that. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, with, and the, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all and all. And notice there the triunity of the Godhead. And that diversities and differences and diversities are varieties, varieties. But the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So every single Bible-believing Christian that's here this morning, you have a spiritual gift. You have it. You might not know what it is, but Paul is saying, don't be ignorant. Don't be unlearned. Don't be uneducated. Find out what that gift is and start to use it. God wants you to use it. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit so you will be able to use it. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, works all these things, distributing to each one individually, as he wills. Very important. As he wills. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26. Let's get a little reminder. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. We limit ourselves. I know this to be true because of my own life. I limit myself. I don't, I don't blame God ever for not using me. 
I look at myself and say, why didn't I, or I should have, or I could have. So I am no different than you. But unfortunately, what happens to a lot of people is because they haven't been to seminary or the cemetery school, seminary school, they don't think, well, I can't be used of God and I don't have the Bible memorized. Nobody asks you to memorize the Bible. Just memorize a few verses. You don't need the whole Bible memorized. Just memorize a few verses. Well, I can't do that. Then write them on index cards and carry them with you. Well, I can't do that. Nah, you're lying now. You can do that. You just don't want to do that. You know, let's, get, let's make it be mature enough to say the facts. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, we read this. For you see our calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the shame the wise. Are we not seeing this today? Where the wise are telling us so many things that they know, and six months later it comes out that they didn't know what they thought they knew, and we knew it all along. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty. Oh, you're one of those weak Christians. Yeah. Yeah, one of those weak Christians that actually believes by the Bible and by science that marriage is between one genetic male and one genetic female. That's amazing. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. I look at that as the church. And what has the enemy tried to do the last 18, 19 months? Shut down the church. Why? Because we're supposed to have the word of God and we're supposed to have the truth. So the most important thing is to shut down the word of God. Not going to happen. The enemy's been trying that for 2,000 years. It's not going to happen. But he's not going to stop. He's going to keep trying. The things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in God's presence. Nobody is going to glory in God's presence. As we look back in 1 Corinthians 12. And this is so important for us to remember as we continue to move through the gifts because now we're going to talk about the gifts of healing, healings, miracles, prophecy, and the discerning of spirits. I doubt we'll get to those today, but we'll see what happens. It is these gifts where people often get out of balance, going to one extreme, focusing on the individual, or the other extreme, there are no such things as gifts. And as I mentioned to you at the study of, verse, of chapter 12, you all have a program. You've all been programmed to believe something. It's, it's typed in to the brain. It's typed into the hard drive. And you're running that code. You're running that program. And when you hear some of these things, your code is going, I don't like that. I don't believe in that. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Well, read your Bible. I, I'm not saying I got this 100% accurate. But I, I, I want to think I got the upper 90s because I just, I just read the Bible to you. So how wrong can I be? You have to read the Bible. You have to come to that place of debugging the program so that you do what God wants to do and not what some man or woman or somebody else taught you that is biblically incorrect. It's so important. See, last time we finished up with faith, and it's important to mention faith with this next gift. There are those today who will confuse the gift of faith with the gift of healing. It's called positive confession. And if you have enough faith, you will never be sick. It's absolutely ridiculous. But those who use this approach pray. Notice the the spelling there. Not P-R-A-Y. P-R-E-Y. Pray upon those who are weak or immature in the faith. You see, it causes those who are weak to keep going back to their faith church because the supposable Bible teacher is going to help them build their faith and then they'll be healed. Again, it's absolutely ridiculous, totally unscriptural, and can actually be very dangerous. We, I've seen this. Causing many to leave the fellowship of the church because God didn't answer their demands.
their demands. Yes, that, that type of faith teachers, these types of faith teachers are actually using the term faith to demand something of God. Unfortunately, their teaching is to have faith in your faith. You just don't have enough faith. If you have more faith. And that's basically what it comes down to. It's no longer having faith in God and, the plan, and his plans for your life. It's about my will be done on earth. My will be done on earth. No matter what it is in heaven, my will be done on earth. I'm going to use my faith. I heard this really good story that gives, I think, a great illustration. These three Christians were driving to a seminar for business purposes. On the way there, the driver, who was into the faith theology, asked his friend up front, how's your brother doing these days? I I haven't heard from him in a while. He replies, He's in need of prayer. He's really sick. He had a bad cold, and it possibly turned into pneumonia. The driver got really upset and started to rebuke the guy. Don't say he's sick. Say he thinks he's sick. If he says that he is whole, then he'll become whole. He'll get better if he just thinks positive about his situation. You can't think negative thoughts because that gives room for the enemy to work and causes illness in our lives. This guy got really worked up about it and his friend finally said, all right, all right already. I'll share with him about his thought process and that he needs to think positive about not being sick. They're continuing to drive along and a little while later, the driver, the faith guy, he asked the other Christian in the back, by the way, you haven't mentioned your uncle lately. How's he doing? His reply was short and simple. Oh, he thinks he's dead. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. To another gifts of healing. So we see that the next gift is plural, gifts of healing. And that's really important to notice because humans have a tendency of elevating other humans. It doesn't read gift of healers, gifts of healing. You see, there's no room for anyone in Christianity to be elevated or to receive any glory for the use of God's supernatural gifts. Remember, the gifts are an expression of God's love to help build up the church. We already read in verse 7. They are not to be used to point others towards a person, but to point that person towards God. And when we think about healing, it's really a shame that we even need this gift. I mean, think of Adam and Eve before the fall. They were never sick, never sick. They never had any issues. But once they sinned, the curse has brought about illness and death. So when somebody asks you, why does such a God of love allow cancer? Because of free will and the curse. Because of free will and the curse. Once they sinned, they were cast out of the garden and they started to suffer the natural consequences of this earth upon the physical body. And we obviously still feel the effects of their choice today. No matter how hard we try as a society, our earthly bodies are moment by moment constantly deteriorating. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 42, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. How many of you are younger than 25 in here? Do we got anybody younger than 25 in here? Any take? Raise your hand high. Nobody's going to stone you for being young. Okay. Good news. Your your body is is still going up. You're building the muscles and your, your, your body is, yes, you're doing good. After 25, what? Kiss it goodbye. It's just going down. It's just going down. It's just going down. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. I've been with so various people. I'm not going to say so many. I've been with about 10 to 12 people on their deathbeds. And I could imagine them when they were in their teens or 20s. Scrapping. Ready to get stuff done. Productive. And most of the time when they're in a deathbed, it's because of cancer. I was with one man who was 180 80 pounds, and six months later, he was probably 70 pounds when he went to be with Jesus. When you're with that, you know, when you're with somebody like that, these verses pop out at you. 
and they burn into your soul. That even though I'm still able to do things, I'm not able to do things now at 61 that I could do at 51. It's a little frustrating. But it's just a sign of the curse. It's, it's just a curse. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. What is the thing here? It's this, talking about this earthly body. And it is sown a natural body. You all have a natural body right now. It is raised a spiritual body. You're all going to get a spiritual body. Even if you're an unbeliever here today, you're going to get a spiritual body. And that spiritual body will go to hell for all of eternity. It's your decision. God sends nobody to hell. You don't want Jesus? God says you have free will. Just don't ever blame me. Even this morning, I'm telling you, you have an opportunity to receive Jesus. You don't want him? You you can't blame God. There is a natural body. Notice this. And there is a spiritual body. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. So here are a few examples of gifts of healing. Again, take a picture. Don't have time to go to all of them. Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 19 through 24. Elisha in 2 Kings 4, 32 through 37. Peter and John in Acts 3, 1 through 10. And then Peter in Acts 9, 32 through 43. So with the gifts of healing, I see them as a gift that is given to people who need to be healed. Again, it's not something that I can turn on or off. If it was, I could empty out any hospital in the world. I would become famous, wealthy, influential, and most likely conceited and prideful. Now I see this gift as being sovereign, and when someone comes forward for prayer and God chooses to heal them, they've received the gift of healing. Those who were praying didn't need to be healed, and they didn't dispense the healing. God did the work and receives all of the glory. So what is the process shown to us in the New Testament about the gifts of healing? Well, in Mark 6, 7 through 13, we see that Jesus sent out the 12 by twos and gave them oil to anoint the six, which would have included Judas. Judas went out and prayed for people to be healed. Pretty interesting. In James 5.14, we read this, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders. Notice plural. Let him call for the elders of the church. Notice that there's to be a church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So here we see a doctrine established for smooth operation of the church. Why the elders? Why the elders? I personally believe that it's because an elder should be wise enough to know better than to think he had any power to heal. Plus, there is at least two present so that no one person could take credit. So, a short study in the gifts of healing. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two with oil to pray for the sick. James also instructs us, the believers, to call for the elders of the church to anoint the sick with oil. Oil can be, not always, but can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. Two or more elders present so that no one person can receive any glory. All the glory goes to God. And the person whom God chooses to heal is that person who has received the gift of healings. Are there examples of God not healing people in the word of God? How about Timothy or Trophimus? How about Jesus healing only one man in the pool of Bethesda? There were other examples that we could look at, but I think Jesus sums it up best in John 9. Let's look at John chapter 9, 1 through 13. John chapter 9, as Jesus, I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Now when you read this, he was just coming out of the temple in John chapter 8. We've been on the southern steps. These are the steps that lead up to the temple mount. Um, They have unearthed 
the baths where they would do uh, ritualistic baths. You had to be clean before you could go into the temple. So they know, they know beyond the shadow of any doubt, this is 100% accurate that this is where the Jews would come to dip themselves before they went into the temple. The, the arches of the entryways are at the top of the steps. They've been blocked up, but they're literally there. You can see the outline of the arches, three arches. They would go in that way and they would not come out the way they went in. So there's some other arches and half of them have been covered up with, with uh, other foundation stones that have been laid later on by the Muslims. Jesus would have come out those so as you piece it all together, we know where the blind man was. He was right outside those gates, begging for money. How many times did Jesus pass this man prior? Probably many times. But on this day, he was going to teach a lesson to his disciples, a lesson for you and a lesson for I. But notice the, the, what happened. He's blind from birth. This is no doubt this guy's blind. And as you read the whole chapter, he comes to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. So the disciples asked him, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? You guys hear the question? What does that tell you about the theology of the disciples? That they were taught that you had physical issues because you were a sinner. And that even a baby in the womb could be cursed by God because of sin. That was their theology. Hmm. See, as you read your Bible, you want to slow down a little bit and, and learn. Poor theology. Well, where did they get that from? They didn't have their own scrolls. They didn't have an Old Testament in their back pocket. Where did they get it from? The rabbis, the teachers, those who studied the Torah, those who studied the scriptures daily. So their leaders taught them this. So as a leader, I try to teach the word of God to the best of my ability. If I'm ever wrong, ever incorrect, please humbly come to me with scriptures, not with your opinion, but with other scriptures, and I will be more than happy to get up here and say, you know what, I said something wrong. And I have done that before because I don't have it all together. But I want you to try your best, and I will try my best. Let the scriptures speak to you. And what they speak to you, do. And what they don't, then don't. We try to keep it that simple around here. It was not because, listen to what Jesus says. He corrects their theology. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Okay, that gets that off the table. So if you, have, if you have this in your head about you don't have enough faith and that's why you're walking around with an illness, please get that off the table. Because it's not scriptural. It's not correct. It's ridiculous. How do I know that? Because Jesus goes on to say, Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And as you read the story, you'll see that he was healed. Well, yeah, well, what about me? What about me? I haven't gotten healed yet. How's the power of God working in me? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, the enemy tries to deceive us into that God is not good. Why would he withhold health from you? Why would he withhold wealth from you? Why would he withhold a, a, a mate for you if you're single? Um, young or old? Why would he withhold this, that, and the other thing? The enemy's whispering these things into our minds so that we get a negative attitude about God. And if you're not reading your Bible every single day on a regular basis, when you read it on a regular basis, you're going to hear, then you shall know that I am the Lord. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because God answers our prayers, guys. Yes, no, wait. We don't like the last two. 2 Corinthians 12 says, Paul writing, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times. Notice what Paul says, I pleaded. I believe it was an eye ailment. 
Again, I wouldn't argue about this. It's irrelevant. But I believe it was an eye ailment. The point is, Paul prayed, pleaded three specific times, God, heal me. Heal me. Take this away from me. He was one of those rabbis. Maybe he's even looking at his own life and he has to debug his own program. I must be in sin. I must, be, I must have done something wrong. Well, let's keep reading. And he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace. No, God, you don't understand. I could serve you way better if I didn't have this. Could Paul have served God any better than he did? Almost wrote half the New Testament. Traveled thousands of miles on foot. What could he have done better? Well, the enemy will whisper in our ears. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You see, God knew something about Paul that Paul didn't know about himself. And Paul had to learn that. Because even in his final letter, he, he writes, I am the chief of all sinners. In the beginning of the ministry, he said, I'm a sinner. At the end of the ministry, I'm the chief of all sinners. Did, does that mean he went out and sinned more? He learned how to perfect sin? He got down really good? No, he just got so close to the light that the light exposed the wickedness of his own heart. And he realized, oh man, now I got to work on that area via the Holy Spirit. That's, that's another thing. Let's read it again. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So what does he go on to say through this revelation, through this understanding that his ailment is not a, a, because of his sin or somebody else's sin or his lack of faith, but is God doing a work in his life? What does he say? Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. How many of us want to say that? But once you get to that place, you will say that because you realize God the enemy can't do anything to me unless he goes to God first and God says, yeah, go ahead. I know my kid. I know what he's going to do. That's what he did with Job, right? The enemy can't touch us unless God says, yeah, that's okay. I'm with him. I'll take care of him. I will boast in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice that, the power of God. It's not about me. My travels are not about me. My revelations via the Holy Spirit are not about me. They're just all about God. Therefore, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. You see, guys, modern day church will not read these verses. This, this doesn't make everybody feel good. This doesn't make you want to come back to church. You just go, man, that was a bummer. Has the last 18 months been fun? How have you been? Have you gotten through it? We've gotten through it fine. Because our eyes are on heaven. Yeah, it's been a bummer, but our eyes are on heaven. So what? Bring it on. God's got a plan. The church is not going to shut down again either. It's not going to shut down. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. Notice that. Very important. Don't go out and do something stupid in the name of Jesus. Stand in front of a car. I'm going to be fine. No, no, not bad idea. Bad idea. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I encourage you to meditate on that this week. That is a Christian principle that few people catch a hold of. Very few people catch a hold of that. Because when you're weak, you're going to call out for more of the Holy Spirit. And then God is going to strengthen you to get through whatever you're going through. Instead of calling out on the pastor or calling out on the deacons or calling out on the elders or calling out on the government or calling out on friends or getting on social media and calling out this and that, now I'm going to call out on God. Because God, you're faithful. God, you're faithful. Not always in my timing, but you're faithful. Am I always faithful? No. But God, you're faithful. All right, back in Corinthians 12. To another, the same faith, verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. Listen to Webster's first definition of the word miracle. An extraordinary event manifesting a supernatural work of God. 
You see, as we look at the Bible, it's clear that a miracle is a divine work done by a divine God for his divine purposes. And Claude and I will go around on this on a regular basis. Uh, childbirth is not a miracle. <laughs> it's not. It's natural. But I get it. You know, we, we agree to disagree. <clears throat> it is a miracle every time. But you no, know it's not. Because there's something divine. There's a divine work done by a divine God for, by his divine purposes. It's something supernatural occurrence in our natural world. You see, Jesus, the apostles, Paul, and others performed many miracles in the New Testament Yet, John the Baptist did not perform one recorded miracle. And I think Jesus says something about John's the greatest. Hmm. Again, it is God who chooses on whom he is going to allow to use these gifts. Acts 6.8 says, And Stephen, or Stephan, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Who was Stephen? He's one of the first seven deacons. He wasn't an apostle. He was just an ordinary guy, just like the apostles were ordinary men. Stephen was an ordinary man, and God used him mightily. He was most likely a Hellenistic Jew. A Hellenistic Jew was one that was born outside of Israel, the nation of Israel, who had the common language of Greek as their primary tongue. Yet God used him mightily and allowed him to exercise the gift of miracles. So does God desire to intervene in our lives today and possibly perform a miracle? It's listed here for us. So if it's listed here for us, I would definitely have to say yes. The question is not, can he? The question is, as I mentioned earlier, are we available for him to do what he would desire to do? And that's why we say every Sunday, if you need a prayer for anything, come up and we'll pray for you. Not many of you partake of that, and that's fine. But I just want you to know, we will pray for you every single Sunday. We'll anoint you with oil. We have oil. We'll have the elders anoint you with oil. We have had people come back and tell us, you know what? God healed me that day. It's not us. We just believe it. But if you don't come up, we can't pray for you. So again, the ball's in your court. The ball's in my court. Do I believe that God could do that? Yes. Do I believe that God's going to do it? I don't know. But why not ask? I'm foolish enough to ask. If he wants to do it, fine. If he doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's still God. I'm going to move on. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. Let's continue to seek God for the gift of miracles. If we believe that he created everything out of nothing, first 10 words, Genesis 1.1, and that he is going to recreate a new heaven and a new earth, and if you haven't read that yet, it's the book of Revelation, this is all going to burn, guys. Why not believe that he still desires to perform a supernatural miracle in and through our lives today? So again, verse 10 there, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy. So the gift of prophecy. Prophecy in the Old Testament was often foretelling, foretelling the future, where prophecy in the New Testament is predominantly forthtelling, forthtelling the word of God. See, Paul encouraged us to seek after the gift of prophecy. And again, if you've been reading 12, 13, and 14, you'll see in 14, you'll, you'll know where I'm going with this, because it is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. That is what the word of God is all about. Now, the New Testament has its occurrences of foretelling, the book of Revelation, but predominantly prophecy in the New Testament is teaching others about the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus being the Christ. We see Paul and others using this gift, often in Acts of the Apostles. And I believe that it is a gift that should be sought after regularly because, again, it is a gift that is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. When you come to an afterglow meeting, we practice this immensely. I've been to many, many meetings. It is unbelievable. And I'm going to tell you now, we're going to do it on a Sunday morning. We're going to do this on a Sunday morning. And you're going to go, but pastor, 1 Corinthians 14 says that will be un- out of order. Unbelievers will be here. I'm warning you right now, we're going to do it. One time. I've never done this, but we're going to do it one time so that you can have the experience. And we will warn the unbelievers that are with us. But if you've been doing your reading, 
you'll see that the problem was speaking in tongues, not prophecy. And Paul says, if you would all prophesy, the unbeliever would go, God is in your midst and they would repent because their heart is convicted. And in these meetings, the Holy Spirit weaves verses together of edification, comfort, and exhortation. And we pray for one another, and it's unbelievable. But churches won't do it because they're afraid of the nuts that come out of the woodwork. I'm not afraid of the nuts. Well, I'll just tell them, sit down. You're out of order. We're going to do 1 Corinthians 14. You're out of order. Well, there's no well. Either sit down or get out. It's that simple. It's not hard. I don't like the fear that the enemy tries to instill in people's lives to be afraid of the gifts. So don't be afraid of the gifts. Don't be afraid of the gifts. We're going to make an exception to the rule. Don't make the rule the exception. I mean, don't make the exception the rule. This is the way I look at the scriptures. Don't make the exception to the rule. You know, the healing, the gift of healings. Peter shadowed, sometimes went over people and they were healed. Okay, so let's bring everybody to the pastor and as he walks by, his shadow is going to go over them. They're going to be healed. No, that's the exception. Paul had handkerchiefs, it says in Acts, and he sent handkerchiefs to people and they were healed. Was Paul making money off of that? Listen today. I slept on my pillow last night. And if you send $100 in, I'm going to cut it up and I'll send you and you will be healed. Is that what Paul was saying? It was an exception. It was just an exception. You won't find it taught in the scriptures. So allow exceptions into your life. Just don't take you know, the overall rule without compromise, obviously. I'm not saying, well, I'm going to accept you know, sin into my life. No, 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 no. Without compromise, allow exceptions to take place in your life. Just don't make them the rule. Know the Bible well enough to go, wow, God made an exception. Really cool. But that's not the rule. Let the rule be the rule. Make the exception. Don't make the exception the rule. It's quite simple. So, what else? Here we go. Is another work in miracles to another prophecy and to another discerning of spirits. So, discerning of spirits. There are many spirits out in the religious world. The Holy Spirit will give you this gift when someone comes and knocks on your door with their false doctrine. 1 John 4, 1, as we go through this very quickly. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. As the music team comes up, again, we need to be in the word of God on a regular basis so that we might be able to discern what a person is saying. And when a person comes along that doesn't appear to be on the up and up, I can call them on it. I, I call that for myself. I call that I got to check in my spirit. You know, when people come in here on different times and they come up to me on a Sunday morning and they, their first time here and they're recommending things already, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, all right. There's a check in my spirit. Usually that's not a good idea. When someone comes along and does or says something that doesn't sit right, I believe it is the gift of discernment. We're reading it right here. Discerning of spirits. So you should be in the word so that you can allow that gift to be used. You might not be able to put your finger on it, but you are cautious about that person. And sure enough, the Lord eventually reveals the heart. But just a warning about this gift. Don't close your Bibles yet. Don't zip them up. It is not the fleshly gift of suspicion. I don't like that person. Why? I don't know. I just don't like them. No, love believes all things and hopes all things. We'll get to that in chapter 13. Again, this is one of those gifts that we should be asking the Lord to give us daily. There are many false doctrines being promoted under the banner of Christianity. A matter of fact, this whole woke thing, I'm wide awake. I'm wide awake. I can't be any more awake than I already am. I'm wide awake to the devil's schemes. I don't need to get woke. That's what woke means, just being awake. So don't bring it into the church. Because it's not going to last from the pit of hell, just like BLM, from the pit of hell. Anything that causes division, it's a pit of hell. There's one race, the human race, two genders, male, female, everything else, pit of hell. But if you don't have the word of God in there, you won't have the boldness that I just had for you. I might go to prison for that boldness. That's okay. That's okay. I'd rather go to prison 
than lead sheep astray or possible potential sheep astray. No way. Read Ezekiel 34 and 35 this morning. Woo, no, no way. We definitely need this gift. We don't need to be paranoid, but we do need to be aware. Next week, we're going to learn about the most controversial gift of all. You guys know what that is? Gift of tongues. Yoo-hoo! Honda, Honda, Shurabore Toyota. <laughs> Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness, your faithfulness, and for the gifts. Lord, I thank you and praise you that you, uh, <laughs> as we're reading, Lord, you, you, they're practical and you make them available to everybody. This is not a hierarchy. Oh, the gifts are only for the special people. Yeah, we are. We're all special people. King James calls us peculiar people. We're special. We're your kids. So, Father, help us to debug that program where we're limiting you because we don't think we're holy enough, we're righteous enough, we're worthy enough. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has made us all of those things. In and of ourselves, we're none of those things. But we stand before your throne. We come before your throne in boldness because of what Jesus did for us. Not so that we might go out and sin, but that we might go out and be used by you and be used of you in the church. So Lord, help us to find that balance as we all maybe work through these issues, these gifts, trying to figure them out. Help us to find the balance and then help us to be open to implement them. It might be a one-time occurrence. Yet according to your word, we know that every single Bible-believing Christian has one gift. You have given them a gift for the use, for the building up of the body of Christ. But you could also use these other gifts anytime you choose. We just read, your Holy Spirit distributes them as he wills. So Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want more of your Holy Spirit that as we go out this week to minister to a fearful, dying world that will be able to lift their eyes momentarily to heaven, plant, water, fertilize, that we might share the gospel, the good news that Jesus is definitely coming back. We thank you for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we all stand, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray for you. We have oil to anoint you. We'll just do what the scriptures say. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. We'd love to pray with you guys. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.